player one, welcome to the Gaming History Club. My name is Gabby. Hello, and I'm JP. Don't speed through this episode, player one. It's time to drift smoothly to the most exciting checkpoints of racing game history. there was once a dark cult past where there were no video games. Ooh, sad smiley face. Can you imagine without video games? I personally can't imagine. I, I have sympathy with them, but they must have still known how to entertain themselves somehow. That's true, because even back in 1900, they had some racing games. The earliest one we could find was not a car racing game though. It's the Yacht Racing game. And yeah, it was from the year 1900. That is old. That is really old. That yeah. is before the First World War. London-based automatic sports company manufactured the first mechanical racing arcade game called Yacht Racer. It actually used real water where players pumped bellows to race two miniature yachts around an island. It was housed on top of a cast iron brass pedestal in the shape of a mermaid. The arcades have had a very rich history when it comes to racing games, but they weren't always as manual as the purely mechanical games such as Yacht Racer from 1900. When we have electromechanical games, they become a lot more fun to play. And we won't be talking too much about electromechanical games, but let's take one example of a game that was released in 1969, so three years before Pong, three years before the first big major video game released into the arcades. It was called Indy 500, released in Japan by Casco, in North America, it was licensed to Chicago Coin, and it was called Speedway. It had a circular track with cars on rotating discs illuminated by lamps in the background, and that would be mirrored from the inside of the cabinet to another mirror which is kind of positioned as though it was like a screen. If you stand far away enough from this cabinet, by the way, you could probably mistake it for being a real video game. It was really cool, it was fun. You had a gas pedal, you had a steering wheel, and you turn left and right on the circular track to avoid other cars. There's a scorekeeping mechanism, which is also mechanical, obviously, and it's got a lot of bells and whistles, you might call it, like sounds and lamps going off and like bing every time you reach 100 miles. Really fun, actually. So I know we only touched on a single instance of a electromechanical racing games, but just know that there was a lot of them and there's a lot that we could mention, but we might want to cover them in a special separate episode because electromechanical games, it is such a big hole to open and we can often go all the way back and talk about them first whenever there's anything related to the arcade that it might be better for us to focus more on the arcade. But just know that there was a lot of them and they're all worth talking about and we may be covering them in a separate episode. The first racing video game was released on the Magnavox Odyssey, which was the first home console ever released. That was from 1972, so we're talking way back, right at the beginning of video games. This was the same year that Pong was released, which you'll already know if you listen to our first episode. So if you want the inside scoop and you haven't heard the first episode yet, go back and listen to the birth of arcade games. But anywhoozle. Let's talk about the Magnavox Odyssey. The first racing video game was called Wipeout. The only thing that the home console could actually do is portray two white squares on your TV screen, black and white. So the way that they made this work as a video game is by giving you loads of different overlays for the different games that they've had. So you would put the overlay for Wipeout, for example, on top of your TV screen, and those white squares that I mentioned, they would shine through that overlay 
And on that overlay for Wipeout, you would just see your white square shine through and you had a racetrack on it. And you would then have to race your white square through the twists and turns of that racetrack. But the game wasn't able to like keep you inside of it, punish you for going out of it. There was no way of keeping score. There was no sound. It was a bit of a stretch, I think, thinking about it now, to have called it a video game. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I have respect for Magnavox Odyssey. It's all good. But yeah, it, I wouldn't class it as like the real first racing game. So let's talk about the real first racing video game in my own opinion. So let's once again talk about our good old friends at Atari, especially Nolan Bushnell. So Nolan Bushnell always wanted to make racing game actually. Let's not forget that he was working at amusement parks. So he's very much aware of the nature of electromechanical games. And he's always had this curiosity about how they work. And he wanted to make video games in that style, then bring that to the arcades. So after Computer Space, they hired Al Alcorn to make their next game. And at first they thought about making a racing game, but they decided not to. And I've heard different reasons for it. I think the most common was that they didn't want to give Al Alcorn a complicated task to do first. They were thinking, let's keep it simple. So they made Pong instead of a racing game. But let's talk about 1973. So this is a year after Pong. And this is when Atari made the first racing game. And it's called Space Race. And we're still in space. So we're still not talking about cars on the road. It's in space. So the way you play Space Race is you play a game. You got yourself and someone else. You race to the top of the screen. And you have to avoid asteroids coming from the side of the screen on your way up to the top. That's all it really is. Real simple, but as to be expected, it's still 1973. The game also, by the way, had a very similar competitor made by Taito called Astro Race. Atari didn't stop there though. Just in the following year, in 1974, they also released Grand Track 10, the first car racing slash driving video game and the first to use a steering wheel, gear stick and a pedal. Nice. Finally getting somewhere and real quick too. Yeah, and this one actually been called the grandfather of racing games. Nolan was inspired by what we mentioned before, Speedway, while he was working at amusement parks. This game was developed during a hard time for Atari due to a lot of internal changes, and there were a lot of communication issues that they just didn't track the expenses of manufacturing the game properly. It was initially sold to distributors for a net loss of $100 per cabinet, and even after the mistake was fixed at that time, it contributed to a total loss of $500,000 that fiscal year. Grand Track 10 had an influence on Tomohiro Nishikado to develop his own driving game. This was before Space Invaders. He was adapting two older electromechanical games, Casco's Mini Drive from 1958 and Taito's Super Road 7 from 1970. And here comes Speed Race. So, Taito's Speed Race was released and distributed in North America as Wheels and Racer, and they were distributed by Midway. Why was this game actually special? Hmm, let's talk about it a little bit. It was the first ever scrolling video game. It featured collision detection between the player and NPC cars, and it also featured an early example of difficulty level because it had beginner level and advanced level in the racing game. The gameplay involves the player races against other rifle cars, more of which will appear as the score increases. The faster you drive, the more the score increases. The game's success led to a stronger relationship between Taito and Midway, which would later bring over Taito heads to the US 
including Gunfight in 1975 and of course our beloved Space Invaders in 1978. Two years after Atari made Grand Track 10, they make another racing game called Night Driver in 1976. According to popular belief, this is the first first-person perspective racing game, although they cheated a little bit by representing the hood of your car with a plastic cutout. You had white edges on the left and right side of the screen, little squares, and you would have to try and stay inside of those squares. But Atari might have popularized the first-person perspective in racing games with Night Driver, but it was actually a German arcade that did it first. The game was called Nürburgring 1. That was the true first-person driving game, released in the same year, and it was developed by a Dr. Reiner First. Dr. Reiner First didn't actually want to make a video game at the start. He actually wanted to make a working driving simulator for VW and British Petroleum, also known as BP. And he wanted to use the technology that was present in Pong in order to do so, hence it became a video game in a way. The game had no CPU, it just contains 28 circuit boards. So Dave Shepard, a programmer at Atari, actually saw a flyer for Nürburgring 1, which was quite an unknown game outside of Germany, apparently. So he got inspired to make Night Driver and managed to miniaturize it to use a single board instead of 28. But 1976 had more going for it. It was a hot year for racing games. We now also see Sega making some motorbike games, too. They had two variants, Manx TT and Motocross. Motocross was released as Fonz in the US, they were referring to Fonzie from the sitcom Happy Days, who was known as Fonzie or The Fonz. The slogan for the game was TV's hottest name, your hottest game. But hey, let's sprint through some of the more notable racing games that came out in the next couple of years. Yeah, in the next year, in 1977, Atari developed Superbug. It was the first multi-directional video game where you steer a VW Beetle, avoiding boundaries and occasional obstacles. In 1979, Factor Beam developed Speed Freak. It was the first racing arcade game that was made with Factor graphics and possibly the only one. And in 1980, Namco developed Rally Axe. It featured horizontal and vertical scrolling, a radar to see the enemies in the flags. It's basically like a minimap. And it was the first game to feature continuous melodic music and not just some background sounds as innovated by Taito's 1978 hit Space Invaders. Nice. So, big, big thing for video games in general, actually. Not just for racing games, video games as a whole. Melodic music. That's nice. true. In 1981, Sega developed Turbo. It is the first racing game to use sprite scaling with full-color graphics, First third-person perspective with the player's full car visible from the rear. It was very popular and critically acclaimed. Turbo was designed by Steve Hanawa, who considered the process of creating the game has been his worst development experience at Sega. Why is that? Because when he developed Turbo, he was just so tired and so stressed out with the process of creating the game that he was hospitalized for a month following the completion of the game with a collapse long. Oh man, that is hard news, isn't it? He should have played more of his own video games, the poor guy, they're excellent. Apparently he was too busy making video games that he forgot to have fun and play video games. Oh man. It's not worth stressing out over work, clearly, player one. If you're stressing out at work, stop that right now. And play video games. And play video games, play Turbo. But now let me introduce a game that was released in 1982 and it was very important for the racing game genre as a whole. It was developed by Namco and it was called Pole Position. 
and it's considered by many to be one of the most influential video games ever made and the most influential racing game ever. The game established the conventions of the racing game genre. It was created by Chinichiro Okamoto and Galaxian designer Katsunori Sawano. It was the first arcade game to use 16-bit. Wow. The game was inspired by Namco's previous electromechanical games, especially F1, which was designed by Sho Ozugi, who made the electromechanical game. Okamoto wanted to make the game to be a true driving simulation game that used 3D perspective and allowed the player to execute real-world techniques. He chose to add the Fuji Speedway in the game, the first time that this ever happened where a real race truck is featured inside of a video game, and it provided the scenery for one of the early examples of product placement within video games, where the billboards had real-life companies advertised on them. It was the first to feature a qualifying lap before the real race starts. And while the earlier three-dimensional arcade driving games emphasized staying on the road, avoiding crashes, go as long as you can go, pole position gives a higher reward for passing rival cars and finishing among the top three. Development lasted three years for this game. The game also spawned a cartoon show, but it had nothing in common with the game. But I'm thinking to myself, well, what can it actually have in common with the game? There's hardly a plot to begin with. Interestingly, the TV show was created by Jean Chalopon, the co-creator of Inspector Gadget, and it was developed by Michael Reeves, who wrote episodes for the 90s TV shows Batman the Animated Series and Gargoyles. In the next year, 1983, we see another first for racing games. Developed by Taito, we got Laser Grand Prix, named that way because it was the first Laserdisc racing game and it featured pre-recorded live action footage. It was kind of slow though, looking at footage of it. So now that we're in the mid 80s, let's talk about a big trend that was being set in motion by Sega. The so-called Taikan games, which is Japanese for body sensation games. The trend began when Yu Suzuki's team at Sega, later known as AM2, developed Hang On in 1985. But just a quick disclaimer here, Yu Suzuki is not affiliated with the company Suzuki, okay? Just want to get that out of the way. Okay. The player sits on a motorbike replica to control the game and also featured force feedback. The game used Sega's super scalar technology, allowing for pseudo 3D sprite scaling at high frame rates. Hang On would become the highest grossing arcade game the following year. In 1986, Yu was involved in more Taikan games. Interesting for us is Outrun from 1986. It was one of the most graphically impressive games of its time. It featured multiple routes that one could drive on, ending in a total of five final destinations at the end of the game, which all featured their own ending sequences. The game's music was made by Hiroshi Kawaguchi, and it was selectable radio style within the game, and it was so good that it's used often to describe the synthwave subgenre. That's true. You did mention that in the arcade game episode as well. And Outrun is absolutely my favorite racing games. Mine too. Any chance I will have to talk about Outrun or Synthwave music, I will use. Because those are two very good things in my life. The game was so popular, it contributed to the recovery of the arcade games following the golden age of the arcade. Yu was so ambitious in creating Outrun, he wanted to simulate effects from the real world he felt that other games didn't have at the time. So we're talking about things like horsepower, torque, gear ratios. The game even had AI to help the player to control the drifting that you could do in the game. Yu's team consisted only of Sega members that were not currently involved in any other project. So he took matters in his own hands a lot and he was actually doing most of the programming and planning for this game as well. 
Similarly to Hang On, Outrun was the most successful arcade game the following year it came out, in 1987. But let's talk a little bit more about this Yu Suzuki guy because he's a massively influential person in the video game industry, okay? He's a bit of a rock star, actually. When he worked for Sega, he was a game designer, he was a producer, he was a programmer, and an engineer. Is there anything that he's not? He's probably not the CEO. Okay, fair point. Let's see what else he did. So, for example, he created Virtua Fighter, the first 3D fighting game, which inspired Sony to make the PlayStation a 3D-focused hardware instead of early in development, they were still considering, should we make a 2D that can make 3D? But they said, no, no, at the back of Virtual Fighter, let us make this a 3D only or primarily 3D console instead. A really interesting story is actually also for Virtual Fighter sequel, Virtual Fighter 2, where he acquired Lockheed Martin's military texture mapping technology, which cost millions, okay? He took it and he managed to engineer it down to just $50 per chip, and then he used that technology, the texture mapping technology, on the 3D characters of Virtual Fighter 2. Yu has an incredible track record for pushing the envelope in gaming. He's really interesting. I think we might dedicate an entire episode to this guy, by the way. The last thing I want to mention is he's also the creator of the Shenmue series for Dreamcast. But we'll come back to you in just a little while. So, one year after Outrun, Namco developed Final Lap. It's actually the sequel to Pole Position. It had the ability to hook up four two-player arcade cabinets together to allow for a total of eight players to race against each other. And two years after, in 1989, Atari developed Hard Drive-In. It uses true force feedback where the wheel fights the player during aggressive turns and a crash replay camera view. Now let's get back to Yu Suzuki. In 1992, developed by Sega, he makes Virtual Racing. Virtual Racing was not the first to feature 3D graphics, but it combined 3D graphics with the best features of all racing games at the time and merged them into one. It started out as a proof-of-concept application made for the Sega Model 1 graphics platform, but the results were so encouraging that they decided, let's turn this into an actual game. While Sega's competition could display up to 2,000 polygons per frame, Sega's Model 1 blew that figure out of the water because they could display a whopping 6,500 polygons per frame. The 3D models and the backdrops were more complex and the game ran at a faster frame rate too. The game had switchable camera angles, including a chase cam, and the game truly feels fast. Game developers were now in a full speed of 3D polygon war. Namco released Ridge Racer in 1993, making its polygons stand out for good use of shading and texture mapping. And then Sega answered with Daytona USA. Yup, another one by AM2. And yup, another one produced by Yu Suzuki. This one, the polygon graphics were texture filtered, giving them a superior smooth 3D appearance. The following year in 1994, we see our first Need for Speed being released. So far, we've talked a lot about the arcade-style racing games where the focus is more on the speed. There's another subgenre, futuristic racing games. In the arcades, futuristic racing games date back to the 1980s, like the Laserdisc game Star Rider by Williams, released in 1983, that's possibly the first racing game with a rear-view mirror to warn of opponents approaching from behind you. So we've talked about Williams, Atari, Taito, Namco, Sega, 
Are we missing anyone? I think so. I know, we've been stuck in the arcade for too long now. Let's see what's going on at home. Oh, okay. Developed by Nintendo, there was F-Zero, released alongside the new SNES in 1990 and produced by Shigeru Miyamoto. It introduced the futuristic racing genre to the home console market. Toshihiro Nagoshi, chief designer of Daytona USA, stated that F-Zero taught him what a game should be and inspired him in his work on Daytona. F-Zero actually popularized the subgenre of futuristic racing. These games reach stupidly high speed, so much that the game revolved more around memorization and reflex than driving skills themselves. But Nintendo didn't stop there. They also released Mario Kart in 1992, again produced by Shigeru Miyamoto, this time popularizing the kart subgenre. While it isn't the first kart game, and it's also not the first game to feature combat, it was the first to merge the two together, and of course it provided a player to choose from all of their beloved Nintendo characters. The game had simple driving mechanics, but fun combat items to use against the other players or NPCs. The entire experience was a lot more fun, especially in the middle stages of the race. It wasn't all just about getting to the finish line as quick as possible, and if you didn't make first, it felt like a wasted effort. It was a very enjoyable experience for everyone. Various other franchises ended up mimicking Nintendo's formula for making a good kart racing game, such as Crash Bandicoot for example. Mario Kart was Nintendo's attempt to break their characters out of the platforming genre. And due to the success of Mario Kart, this is something that they ended up doing a lot more often. So we see all of these other Mario games in Mario Tennis, Mario Golf, Mario Party, Mario Strikers, which is football or soccer for our American friends, and Mario Superstar Baseball. But yet another subgenre was taking hold around this time, simulation racing. While games previous to this time were often praised and developed with realism in mind like Pole Position and Outrun, those games were very much still about speed, focusing on the fun, not sense of realism itself. Sim racing aimed to be as realistic as possible. You're even expected to actually know how to drive if you want to be successful competitively in playing sim racing games. You could spend hours playing sim racing game without actually doing the racing. Yeah, that's true. I don't do it for tuning the car, but I definitely do it for customizing the look of my car. Oh yeah, modify, yeah. modify, modify. Yeah, yeah, need for speed on the ground too. Decals there, neon. That's all you do in GTA as well, by the way. I know. <laughs> Generally, sim racing games are considered to have really taken off in 1989 with Indianapolis 500, the simulation for MS-DOS, often just referred to as Indy 500 and developed by the now defunct Papyrus Design Group. It's a simulation of a real annual race held at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The game attempted to simulate realistic physics and telemetry, from portraying the relationship between four contact patches and the pavement, to the loss of grip when you make a high-speed turn that will force the player to adopt a proper racing line and believable throttle-to-brake interaction. It even featured a garage facility for players to modify different parts of their vehicle, such as the tires, the shocks and wings and adjustments to them. It was the first time that a game really tried to distinguish itself from the arcade-style racing games. This hyper-realistic style of racing caught up to other developers as well. Namco released Mitsubishi Driving Simulator in 1991, co-developed by Mitsubishi, to be used by Japanese driving schools. 
included basics such as parking positions, ensuring the car is in neutral, starting the engine, and then putting the car into gear, etc. So truly the preparation of driving a car. I would have loved to have been able to do that when I was learning how to drive. And I know. I wasn't learning how to drive in 91. I was learning how to drive in like 2012. Why didn't I have something so cool? In 1997, Japan Studios releases Gran Turismo for the PlayStation, having been in development for five years. It was considered the most realistic racing simulation game and somehow remained very playable to players of all skill levels. It had a wide range of tuning options, introduced open-ended career mode, where players needed to earn their way into races and choose their own career path. Gran Turismo franchise would become the second most successful racing game franchise and the 24th in games as a whole. Talking about Gran Turismo, let's talk about Jan Mardenbra. He's a young kid from England. He always wanted to be in the motorsport industry, particularly a professional race driver, okay? He's been playing Gran Turismo since he was eight years old. He played it all of his life, as a matter of fact, and in 2010, when he was playing Gran Turismo 5, he noticed an online time trial for the GT Academy competition. The winner of the GT Academy would earn a Nissan professional contract. He was able to qualify amongst 90,000 other contestants and progress to the next stages. He went through real-life physical racing training and eventually reached the finals, a real 20-minute race in a real high-performance car on a real racetrack. Wow which before the GT Academy, he was never on a real racetrack or driven a high-performance car before. He won the race by eight seconds and he earned himself a professional Nissan contract. The movie Gran Turismo, by the way, is based on these events and more from later on in his career too. He's got a very successful racing career now. So, just comes to show, if you want to be something, play a video game first. See if you like it. Do <laughs> a tester. True. Apparently you can train in video game and becoming really good in real life at something. It comes to show just how realistic the simulation actually must be in, in Gran Turismo, right? I mean, I'm not a particular car kind of guy, really. Although I like driving cars, I'm not into driving cars that way. So I don't really know how realistic the simulations are. But if it can turn you from a gamer into an actual professional then yeah, it must be very realistic. In the year 2000, Angel Studios, which later becoming Rockstar San Diego, released the first free Rome-style racing game. It was called Midnight Club Street Racing. The game allowed the player to roam around virtual recreations of London and New York freely and not confined to a single racetrack. In 2003, the sequel Midnight Club 2 was the first racing game to feature both playable cars, and motorcycles. In the modern day, we have a multitude of all types of racing games and subgenres, and in between us as well. Forza, for example, they make a very well-known sim racing game franchise, but they also make an offshoot series, Forza Horizon, which caters towards players that prefer the arcade-style racing games. We got games such as Burnout and Driver that focus solely on the action and the crashes. And we also commonly see racing taking place in non-racing genre games, mostly in sandbox-style games, such as GTA. The most successful racing game franchise by a long shot, however, is Need for Speed. The franchise has sold more than 150 million copies and is ranked number 14 overall most successful gaming franchise. 
So, we've driven through the history of racing games, checkpointed some of the firsts in racing games, we sailed from the year 1900 to modern-day hyper-realism, we free-roamed the subgenres, the arcade-style games, simulation racing, kart racing, and futuristic racing games. We hope you've been enjoying the ride. New episodes of Gaming History Club are released every second Wednesday, so make sure you subscribe and follow us on our social media. Say hi to us by visiting our website, gaminghistory.club, and let us know what topics you'd like to hear. Or you can just share your favorite video game stories. Yeah, next episode, we will be celebrating. So, player one, get ready to leave your luck to heaven. Thank you.